Hello, my name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege to welcome you to our virtual worship service. We pray that through this time that God would be praised and that you would be encouraged and refreshed and equipped to honor him by his grace. So friends, hear this call to worship. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Father, we come into your presence because you first came for us. You have made us your own. You have been our light. You have brought us onto your path by the precious blood of your son, Jesus. 
And so we worship you as our creator. We worship you as our savior. We worship you as our father. And we ask that you would equip us to walk closely with you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, it is good and right after acknowledging the worthiness of God to confess our sins before him. So please join me in prayer as we confess our sins together, followed by a time of silent confession. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in whom we live and move and have our being, we come before you today with troubled hearts and minds. We are fearful about our relationships, our health, our finances, our families, our futures, and many other things. We have heard your promise that you will never leave nor forsake us, yet we struggle to believe. We doubt your love, we question your care, and we return to our old manner of life. Father, forgive us. Forgive the ways we believe the lies of the evil one more than your truthful word. Forgive how we look to the world rather than resting in your love. Forgive how we have hidden our sins rather than confessing them to you and our brother. Forgive us for not running to you in prayer and for how we seek to live in our own strength. By the blood of Christ, forgive the sins we have just named and the sins we now confess to you silently. Amen. Well, friends, lift up your heads and lift up your hearts and hear God's assurance of pardon. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now I 
Let us pray now for the church and for the world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, the name that at which every knee shall bow and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus is Lord. We come in his name asking that you would be with your people, that you would teach us the height and the depth, the length and the width of your love, that we would know more of your grace and we would rest more in your love. Father, we ask that you would draw near to your people and that you would mourn those who are grieving. We pray specifically for Caleb Blevins as he mourns the loss of his grandfather and ask that you would be near to Caleb and his family, that you would comfort them in their sorrow and you would give them great hope, hope that because Jesus has risen again and he has ascended on high, that we too will ascend, that we too will rise to new life. God, I pray not only for Caleb, but for all those who may be grieving, for those who are weighed down and are anxious, for our families today who are adjusting to this new season of life, who are contained to their homes. I pray that you would draw mother and father, son and daughter, brother and sister, husband and wife, that you would draw us into deeper relationship with one another that in our families we would be the first places where children would learn repentance and grace, mercy and kindness. Father, I pray for those who are alone, who live alone right now, that you would comfort them, that you would be near to them, that, Father, that as they are uh, stuck in their homes and maybe don't have family nearby or friends who can come and visit, that you would draw near to them and that they would know your goodness and your care. Father, I pray that you would be with those who are concerned about businesses, small business owners, and those who are hourly wage earners, those who may be concerned about what tomorrow might bring. I pray that in their anxiety and their worries, that you would help them to rest in your care, knowing that you are the one who have clothed the lilies of the field, and you are the one who have fed the birds of the air, and so you too will feed and clothe your people. Father, regardless of what our station in life might be, regardless of what emotions we may be bringing, we ask that you would be near to us, that you would help us, that you would show us your face so that we would walk with you and honor you with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we now come to God's word. And uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. And it is great for you to be tuning in. I'm thankful that you would tune in and you would engage with us in this worship service. And, uh, and if, if you are new, if this is maybe your first time uh, viewing our service, uh, I am glad that you would find us and, and let you know that we are in the midst of a sermon series in the book of 1 Samuel. This morning, we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there in just a moment. The words of our text will appear on your screen. 
But if you were with us last week, if you viewed our service last week, then you know that the people were delivered from the Amorites. These were a people, the Ammonites, who had come, a warring people who had come upon Israel. And they sought to bring war upon them, but God rose up a deliverer. He rose up his king, Saul, and he saved the people. And the people responded to God's saving, to his deliverance, by seeking renewal. By seeking kingdom renewal. We saw how they renewed the kingdom, how they celebrated with great joy, and they worshipped God. But for true renewal to occur, the people are going to have to reckon with the reality of who they are and who God is. And in our passage, we have this kingdom renewal ceremony continuing. And that is what we see in our passage, that the people are going to be confronted by the truth of who they are and the truth of who God is. So let's follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, excuse me, king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, 
And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from, no, from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask that as we come to it now, that you by your spirit would lead us in the way that we are to go, that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts so that we would know how it is that we are to follow you and serve you so that we would serve you all of our days. Father, allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, has one of the great opening lines in all of literature. Many of us know it. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. But that line continues, Dickens continues with a contrast. He says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. These contrasts that Dickens sets up, best and, and worst, wisdom and foolishness, light and darkness. When we hear them, we can't help but wonder and want to ask him, so which is it? <laughs> right? And we know what the answer is. The answer is both. Both that, that there is good news and that there is bad news. Right, That there is the best of times and that there is the worst of times. That this is how the world often functions. That many times we experience both good and bad. 
sometimes even in the same moment, in the same hour, in the same day. Right? We understand this. We experience it. We hear of sickness. And at the same time, we hear of people responding with selflessness to the sick. We're quarantined in our homes and unable to go about our regular day-to-day lives, but we have this opportunity with family that maybe we've never had before. There's good news and there's bad news. Right? We know this. We know that we live in a world that is marked by sin, that feels the effects of the fall, and yet we see truth and beauty and grace. This experience of both good and bad This experience is not something that is new to us. It is not unique to our time in life. This is the reality of living in a post-Genesis 3 world of which Israel was living. You see, as they are moving towards kingdom renewal, as they are seeking to reestablish their loyalty with God, Samuel presents them both with good news and with bad news. But this news isn't just for them. This news is also for us. So when should we start with? Well, if you're like me, you want the bad news first. Let's get it over with. Let's be done with it. And let's end with the good. And that's where Samuel begins. And so that's where we will begin. Samuel stands before Israel and he gives them bad news. And he sets up the bad news in verse 7. In verse 7, he begins to recount to Israel all that God has done. How God had appointed Moses and Aaron to lead the people. How he had brought Israel out of Egypt. How he had led them into the land in which they were then dwelling. And when enemies arose, God had heard the people's cries and he raised up deliverers. Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. And God delivered his people. He saved them. Now those sound like good news, don't they? I mean, where is the bad? Well, the bad is found in the way in which the people have responded to what God has done. In verse 9, we hear that even though God has done all these things, that they forgot the Lord their God. And though God was the king over them, they said, a king shall reign over us in verse 12. And then Samuel in verse 17 says, you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. You see, so far, the news is not so good. And so I can imagine, I can imagine that as Israel's hearing these things, as they're hearing all this bad news, that it would be easy for them to think, well, well, sure, of course we haven't kept the law perfectly, and of course we had some slip-ups, but, but at least we're not like the nations, right? We're not like the Philistines, we're not like the Ammonites, we're not like the Moabites, we're not like those pagans. Right? I mean, it's not too hard to imagine that the average Israelite might be thinking those things. It's not hard to imagine that because those are the very things that we often think. When we're confronted by our failings and by our sin, it's easy for us to think, well, well sure, I did fill in the blank, but at least I didn't do fill in the blank, something even worse. 
right? Or, or at least I'm not like, insert your neighbor or, or co-worker, right? I'm not like that neighbor who's hoarding toilet paper right now, or I'm not like that person at the front of the checkout line who seemingly has purchased enough meat to last for six or, or 12 months and has left nothing for us. I've had trip-ups, I've had slip-ups, but I'm not like them. I mean, we love to compare ourselves. We love to compare ourselves to others, and when we do, we often conclude, you know, we're not that bad. But I want you to notice who Samuel compares Israel to. It's not to the nations, and it's not to their neighbors, but it's to the Lord. You see those acts that I described before about God raising up Moses and Aaron, of of God leading the people out of Egypt. In verses 6 through 11, those acts are described, and, and what those are are God's righteous acts. They are God's works that are true and good. They are his actions that are righteous and pure. You see, Samuel is contrasting God's works with the works of the people. And when he does that, well, it becomes very apparent that the bad news is that the people have acted badly. And not just badly, because that word actually isn't strong enough. Wickedness, evil, rejecting God. Those are the words that Samuel uses. Those are the words that reflect their actions. And it's not just Israel that's done this. You see, the Bible is clear that no one is righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short. Israel of the Old Testament and me and you. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what are we to do with this bad news? Well, we can minimize it. But I've already said to to compare, to say it's really not all that bad. Well, that, that doesn't work because it is that bad. In fact, it's far worse than we often think. So minimizing it's not going to work. Maybe another response is that we could hide it. That when our sin becomes apparent to us, we allow our shame to control us and we just simply pretend like it's not there. But to do either of those things, it would not lead us to renewal. And you remember, that's what the people are seeking. They're seeking renewal. Now, let's let's look and see what the people do. You see, for all of their wrongs, for all of their failings, for all of their faults, they actually get something very right. They don't minimize their sin. They don't hide it. Instead, in verse 19, they say to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have hidden For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. You see, Israel isn't hiding their sin. They say it, we have added to our sins. They acknowledge it. And they don't minimize it, they call it evil. They expose it. And I can't help but wonder, if maybe the Lord is using this season right now in our lives, to expose our sin. You know, as I'm working from home, like many of you are, I'm not in the car as often. I'm not going to stores. I'm not going out for lunches. I'm not meeting people. 
And in this extra time, I found myself being a little more reflective and thinking a little bit more about my life and, and a little more reflective about my heart and my, my mindset towards the world and towards God and myself. And I have to be honest that there are some things that I don't like about what I'm seeing and what I'm reflecting upon. You see, some of the things that I'm realizing is that, that maybe I'm trusting or I have been trusting in things more than God. Finances. Health. Having answers to difficult questions. Knowing what to do next. Having plans that are tried and tested. Having patience to sit in the midst of struggle. None of these things are bad things. They're actually good things. But, but God in this season has been showing me that, that maybe I've put too much stock in these things. That I've been substituting him for them. But friends, none of those are substitutes for him. And so I can't help but wonder, what is God revealing about your heart in this season? Because if it's not dependence or trust, or faith in him, whatever it might be, it is empty. That's what Samuel calls things that are not of the Lord. He calls them in verse 12, empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. And so in this time, it it would be good for us to ask God to show us, to reveal to us the empty things, the, the bad news about our hearts. So that we would know that it is bad. So that we would know that it is empty. But not that we would just remain there. Not just that we would kind of sit in the midst of the badness or the emptiness or the, the, the things that will not profit us. No, we do this. We expose the bad news because there is good news. There's good news. Samuel says in verse 20, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Okay, so he doesn't ignore their sin. He doesn't ignore the evilness that they have perpetrated. He names it. You have done this evil, but, verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Do you hear the good news? The good news that God has made us his people, that God has done this. And he has done it not because his people were the the strongest or the most numerous or the most beautiful or the most righteous. No, we're told in Deuteronomy that God chose Israel of old to be his people simply because he loved them. That once they were not a people, but now they are a people. And that's the same for us. For in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says of the church that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, that's who you are. That that's who the church is, that though we are scattered and though we are homebound, we are his people. And y'all, that is good news. But there's more. 
You see, we're not only God's people, but because we are his people, it means he will not leave us. Look at the beginning of verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. I have to tell you, that has to be one of the most comforting promises in all of Scripture. I mean, don't we need that promise when we're alone, when we feel far from friends or family, when we are distant, when it seems like the world is changing faster than we can keep up with it, when, when uncertainty sets in? I mean, it's easy in those times to start to wonder, where is God? I mean, the Psalms are filled with that question. Has God forgotten his promises? Has God's compassion been shut up forever? Has God left us? I mean, maybe you've been wondering that this past week. Or maybe you're wondering it even as you're watching this sermon. Or maybe you'll watch it tomorrow or in the days to come. But I want you to know that the answer to that question, has God forgotten his people? The answer again and again throughout scripture is no. That is the consistent theme throughout all of the Bible. From the words that are given to Abraham, to Moses' declaration, to the promises given to Joshua, to the refrain of the Psalms, to the words of Jesus and the assurance of Paul, we hear again and again and again. God's saying, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. At the end of Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. And maybe here I could include as part of creation, nor virus, nor social distancing, nor quarantine, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, God's love for his people is too great to leave us on our own. That is the good news, that we are his people whom he will never forsake. But as good as that news is, there's one more bit of news that Samuel has for us. Because not only has God made us his people, and not only will he not forsake us, but God has also given us an advocate. That's what Samuel is for the people. In verse 23, Samuel assures the people that he will not cease to pray for them. And in doing this, what Samuel is doing as he has done throughout this chapter, throughout this book, is he is acting as a faithful prophet, as a faithful priest serving on behalf of the people. He would not cease to pray, to intercede on behalf of the people. But we know that one day Samuel would die and his prayers would cease. But yet we still have an advocate we still have an intercessor because Jesus, the one who has gone to his death, Jesus, the one who has risen in triumph, Jesus, who is at God's right hand, First John tells us that he is our advocate. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that he is interceding for us. 
You see, Jesus is before the Father as our intercessor and as our advocate, claiming not our righteous deeds, not claiming that we are righteous in of ourselves, but instead he is claiming his righteousness on our behalf. And friends, that is good news. No, 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 no. That is great news. Because Jesus has done what no one else could do for us, not even Samuel. He has delivered us from our sin. He has shown us grace and he has loved us with a love that will never forsake us. So how do we respond to this good news? Will you remember those sins? Those things that Samuel called empty and cannot profit and cannot deliver? Well, friends, we respond to this good news by bringing them out of hiding. We confess them before God and each other. We repent of them and we turn to the Lord. And we do, as Samuel says in verse 20, serve the Lord with all your heart. You see, friends, we turn away from the bad news. And we cling to the good news. We cling to Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that despite all of our turning from you, despite our forgetting about you, you have not forgotten us. We thank you that you have sent your Son, who is our advocate, our intercessor, our great prophet and priest, the one who reigns and rules, and whose love will never leave us or forsake us. So we pray that you would help us to turn from our sin and turn to Christ, clinging to him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
people of God, receive the Lord's blessing. May the love of God the Father and the grace of his Son, our Lord Jesus, and the peace that comes through his Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace. Thank you.